Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When Suzanne Trotter gets pregnant with Clara on the second and final round of IVF, she is overjoyed. Suzanne has a smooth and uncomplicated pregnancy, but towards the end it is clear that Clara is breached, and Suzanne therefore opts to birth her baby via planned C-section. In this episode, we hear Suzanne share her experience of pregnancy and birth, but also the complicated and difficult breastfeeding journey that followed, and the physical challenges of recovering from her C-section. With us in the studio is Nairi Wright, midwife and founder of Sage Fam, to answer any questions. My name is Caroline Johansson, and you're listening to the podcast To Become a Mother. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you. And welcome, Nairi. Thank you. Uh, Suzanne, you are stepmom to a 13-year-old girl. I am. And you are the mom of soon a three-year-old daughter, Clara. Yeah. And it is Clara's birth that we will hear about today. Yes. Um, before we get into the birth, I was wondering when you and your partner started thinking about it was time to have a baby. Sure. Well, we have been talking about it for a while and we did start trying kind of casually and when it didn't happen naturally we started having more serious conversations and at first we didn't really want to go down the IVF route so we explored other alternatives and talked about other alternatives and then as time was ticking on and I turned 40, 41 after speaking to my GP and to some friends, it was clear that IVF was our main option at that point. Mm. So then we started looking into it in a bit more detail and then we went for it. And how long was the period between that you started trying casually and then you decided going down the IVF route? Probably about two and a half years. Mm. And I was more on board with the IVF idea than my partner for, for many reasons. Mm. And so then it took me a while to convince him that it was something that we should explore. 
And then obviously when you start, not obviously, when you do start, mm. it does take a while to get into the system and have all the appointments. So time just flies by yeah, when you're yeah. in that position. And so you, when you took that decision to go down the IVF route, what followed? So we had an initial meeting with a consultant and it wasn't very positive. And so he kind of came away and maybe took a step back and thought about it some more. Then I went back to my GP and she said that I could actually go to a different hospital because I wasn't very happy with the original hospital. And so I went to another hospital and as I had a positive experience there, I can say it's at Guy's and St. Thomas's. And from the start, from the moment we walked in, it was a really positive, warm environment. And as soon as the consultant looked at my details, she fast-tracked us and got us kind of going straight away, really. It, it, um, just out of curiosity, what was it that was good with St. Thomas's that you felt was missing at the other place? It was the negativity and we were more or less told at the first hospital that it wouldn't happen. Mm. And so we took that on board and wondered if we should proceed given that information. Mm. And then at Guys and St. Thomas's, it couldn't have been more different and much more positive and encouraging. Yeah, and nice. Yeah. And you have two trials, right? Yes. And um, you get pregnant on the second one. Yes. How does that feel? Amazing, because... Mm that was our last try mm -hmm. and that was the other amazing thing that we I could have had three free goes on the NHS um, but because I was nearing the age of 42 I only had the time for two so that second one was it really uh, we were, we might have considered self-funding after that yeah but we hadn't got that far so yeah. it was amazing okay. for it to happen nice yeah and how was your pregnancy it was brilliant from start to finish. And I just, I was talking to my stepdaughter about this the other day that I just loved being pregnant and I was really lucky, didn't have any sickness, didn't have any issues until kind of the last few weeks with swollen ankles and that kind of thing and mm. tiredness and just felt really happy and elated the whole way. Yeah. And how, how did you think about birth? Did you have any thoughts about how it was going to be and any expectations? Yeah, in the first couple of months, I really explored all the different areas and thought about home birth and thought about what kind of birthing centre that I might like to give birth in. And then I think probably as early as three months, I was told I had a low-lying placenta. And so it was likely that I would have a C-section. Mm. And then as the pregnancy progressed... The placenta moved, but Clara moved also. So she was breached towards the end. So all along the way, it was kind of heading towards C-section. Mm. So after my initial couple of months where I was reading lots of books and thinking about my ideal birthing situation, it kind of got taken away from me, which I didn't mind at mm. all. Mm. I was quite happy to uh, consider a C-section. And then as it got closer, I was given a few different options about turning the baby or yeah, mainly turning the baby. Mm -hmm. And so for about six months, I was always heading in, in my mind that it was going to be a C-section. And it must be hard when you have, when you think that you're going to have a C-section when then suddenly there's an option to maybe not have it. Yeah. That can be quite hard to just get your head around. Yes. I thought about it momentarily 
And there was a really lovely nurse who had just been on um, a course to about turning breech babies. And so she talked me through it and, and how it would be. But I was really, yeah, I was late, very close to the birth by then, like eight and a half months. And because mentally I was invested in the C-section mm. and I thought it would be quite hard for me to come out of that mentally and to start rereading all the materials and getting my head around everything. So mm. um, I spoke to my consultant um, and he said because of the way that the pregnancy had progressed, he was happy to support the C-section. Yeah. In terms of turning the baby in I just um, out of curiosity, how do they do that and what does that involve really? Yes, um, it's called external cephalic version and it's usually done in a labour ward just in case there are any problems with the baby you're in the right place if you then have to quickly go to theatre to have a caesarean. Um, there are usually two obstetricians, uh, both working together. And at the time it's being done, there is a scan so they can see exactly where the baby is lying, where the placenta is. And it's basically one obstetrician using their hands externally to push the baby to do a 180 degree flip. So if you imagine somebody doing a forward roll, you need to make sure that you're pushing the baby forward with the momentum so that the head goes down. Um, so you wouldn't want to push the baby the wrong way. And that's why the scan is so important. Yeah. And it's usually got done in a couple of stages. It absolutely isn't always uh, successful. It depends on how the baby's legs are, how much amniotic fluid there is around the baby because obviously if there's not much amniotic fluid it's quite difficult to get that forward motion and it depends also on the expertise of the obstetrician and the most optimal time to do it is around 37 weeks because if you leave it too late the baby is a bit too big mm. if you try and do it too early you might flip the baby around, but then half an hour later, <laughs> because babies are babies, the baby might flip back again. Yeah. Um, so 37 weeks is about right. And people who haven't been through it will say, it's mildly uncomfortable. Mm. I would say it's not mildly uncomfortable. Having personally had an ECV, I'd say it's pretty uncomfortable. Mm. So it's really important to um, have some pain relief mm. and have somebody that you are very happy with holding your hand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah good tip. And um, another thing I also wanted to ask about is the placenta, because I think if you're listening to this and you hear the placenta has moved, you might wonder where to. <laughs> yes. How does that really work? And what is the issue with a low-lying placenta? Okay, big questions. <laughs> um, so a low-lying placenta is actually fairly common at 20 weeks in the pregnancy. So about a quarter of women will be told at that scan that their placenta is low-lying. And the problem then is if you go home and Google low-lying placenta, you'll scare yourself half to death because there will be stories about the fact that um, you're far more likely to bleed heavily. And it's true if your placenta is still low-lying at the end of pregnancy, there is definitely a big risk of heavy bleeding at the time of birth. And that's because there are more of the 
individual muscle fibers at the top of the uterus. So if the placenta detaches from there at the time of birth, it's easier for the uterus to contract and control the bleeding, whereas there are fewer muscle fibers uh, in the lower segment of the uterus. Um, and there is also a risk that the placenta might actually cover the cervix and the opening that the baby needs to leave from. And so that's why women like Suzanne are told, actually, you need to have a cesarean. So it depends on how low-lying the placenta is. But the reason I say it's quite common at 20 weeks, but it's uncommon for it still to be low-lying at the end, is because as the pregnancy progresses the uterus expands and pulls the placenta upwards. Mm. So placentas only ever go upwards. They don't go downwards. So if your placenta is high at 20 weeks, it's not going to be low-lying at the end of pregnancy. And so usually, I feel like I'm talking too much, if the <laughs> placenta is um, low-lying at 20 weeks, it's absolutely fine but you then come back at around 32 weeks in the pregnancy to have another scan to check the placental location and to check that it has moved upwards. If it's still low-lying, when they're trying to decide the safest mode of delivery, they will sometimes do an internal vaginal scan and actually measure how far away in centimetres the leading edge of the placenta is from the cervix and it needs to be at least two centimetres away for a vaginal birth to be considered. Wow, so two centimetres doesn't sound very much, actually. So you could still go ahead if it's... Um... You can, but there might be further considerations. Okay. So a home birth wouldn't be recommended. Having the baby on the birthing centre wouldn't be recommended because of that heavier risk of bleeding yeah. that I talked about earlier. Yeah. And so you go for the C-section. Can you describe what happens on the day? Yes. So it's quite surreal having the date given to you mm. compared to waiting at home for your waters to break. So we had to get up fairly early and go to the hospital, and then uh, which was St. Thomas's. And when we were at the hospital, they then decide the order of the C-sections of the day, um, considering how serious people's conditions are and so I was deemed the least serious so I was put to the bottom of the list so we actually had to wait till about 6 p.m so that's quite hard because it's nil by mouth yeah. and you can't really do much and you're just kind of waiting yeah. for the event and well first of all at about 8 a.m my partner was either told or decided that he would get in his scrubs and then uh, by about 10 o'clock he was like I'm a bit hungry now so um, he kind of got out of that and went to the cafe etc actually he got a free meal from the um the maternity ward <laughs> hopefully he didn't so, eat yeah. it in front of you no no <laughs> oh wow so yeah that is a really long wait yes and then they um they took you and had you planned a c-section in a in a particular way you know did you decide to have special music, um, those kind of things. So, yeah, yeah. We, we had got as far as creating a, a playlist and mm. we hadn't really talked it through mm. because we had in our heads that it was fairly straightforward and really the responsibilities on everyone else. Mm. And everyone made us feel very comfortable and at ease as we went into the theatre. Yeah. So, yeah, we had our playlist. And then yeah. your little daughter arrives yes is she placed on you yes yeah yes so first of all 
I'm just trying to remember now if um, if my partner held her first, but no, I think she was placed directly on me mm. and for a short time and then perhaps taken away while I was um, sewn up. And how was that meeting? Again, surreal. And I don't have anything to compare it with, but I can imagine when you've been through a day or two days of labour and then you get handed your baby, it's a very different feeling. Mm. And to seemingly not go through very much and just be chatting away to your partner and chatting to the the nurses and doctors there and then be handed your baby yeah. is quite strange. Yeah. And it's so, <laughs> so yeah. quick, isn't it, from one moment to another? Yes. How yeah. quick are C-sections, Nairi? How Do you know how long time they usually take? Um, people are usually in theatre for about an hour, yeah. but actually getting the baby born often only takes... 10, 15 minutes, depending on if an epidural is in already and all sorts of different factors. But getting the baby out is quick and then um, in a much more leisurely fashion, which is as you want it, they very carefully make sure they're repairing all of the layers, making sure there are no swabs left inside, that the bleeding is stabilised, that the, the woman's not feeling any pain, that there's blood pressure is stable. So all of those things take a bit longer. So mm. baby out, 10, 15 minutes, then about usually an average of about 45 minutes afterwards to make sure everything is okay. Yeah. And um, how are the next few hours? Yeah, kind of a bit of a blur. Mm. And so I had to be taken out of theatre quite quickly because there was an emergency coming in. So I don't know if I if that hadn't have happened that I would have they would have taken more time recovering in the theatre but so I was taken to another room to recover and then I was kind of left alone well actually I probably wasn't left alone I'm sure there were people (laughs) coming in and out but it felt like it was just me and Clara um and that was kind of magical and my boyfriend obviously was around too and then my mum came in um a bit later when it was um okay to do that uh so I had had quite a lot of time then to contemplate (laughs) What happened? Yeah, the the magical time straight after it's it's really something special. But normally straight after birth, you start thinking about um, breastfeeding. How did that go in your case? Yeah, I really struggled from the start. I didn't feel very well straight after, quite sleepy and not very with it. So I was really struggling to establish breastfeeding. And the nurses there were very keen for me to keep trying. And in the end, because I kept going in and out, sleeping, kind of dozing off and going in and out sleep, my partner took the decision to bottle feed because Mm. he was worried because it had been quite a long time that I hadn't been able to breastfeed. And so that was a bit difficult because he felt quite lost and I wasn't really making much sense and the nurses were still really keen to avoid introducing formula straight away they were they because I had said I wanted to breastfeed and they wanted to support that so that was a bit difficult and eventually they allowed him to feed Clara with formula and how did you feel about that I was happy because I kind of felt useless Mm. at that point and I couldn't really 
think about trying to breastfeed. I I was trying, but I was just so weak. I actually had lost a lot of blood, Mm. which did impact on my recovery, more more blood than um, was normal or usual. Mm. So I was happy for him to feed Clara whichever way he could. Yeah. And we've heard uh, in previous episodes here, Nari, about blood loss and how that can impact breastfeeding and the milk coming in. Are you able to do a little recap? Yes, just um, if you lose more blood at delivery, it can impact on your milk production negatively. And having a cesarean, particularly if it's um, um, an elective one where no labour has been experienced, it usually causes a bit of a delay in the milk coming in. It's still perfectly possible to breastfeed after a cesarean, but you do need midwives or um, theatre nurses who are experienced in supporting women because if a woman is very sleepy in theory it should be possible to latch a baby onto the breast anyway Mm. but you have to have staff who have the time to do that Mm. you have to have the staff who are prepared to explain uh, a feeding plan to a partner to alleviate their anxiety Mm. because anybody who's had a new baby is going to be worried about whether the baby's going to have anything to eat. Mm. Um, what will the negative consequences be? And so you need to have uh, somebody who has the time to explain all of those things. Mm. And both the woman and her partner need to feel comfortable with the feeding choices that they've made without the fear of judgment. Mm. And how did the breastfeeding continue? It wasn't very positive and I was trying but I was unsure of how much milk I was producing at that point. So I was still in the hospital and I didn't have a pump with Mm. me and um, I was still recovering. So we were hoping that Clara was getting something from me, but also supplementing it with formula. Mm. How did the breastfeeding journey evolve? Along those same lines that I was really unsure how much she was getting And I was pumping as well and feeling like I wasn't actually producing much. And so then we mixed, mixed fed, is that mixed fed? Yeah. And then it was really hard because I was trying a bit, a couple of weeks down the line to move to exclusive breastfeeding because that's what I had planned and that's what I really wanted to do. And once you've introduced formula, it's really hard Mm. to, to do that. And I went to various consultations and got got help online, etc. And in the end, it was it was making me unhappy. This battle between the breast and the bottle, mm-hmm. and so I managed actually maybe for about four months to do both. Mm. And amazingly, at night, Clara breastfed, and it just seemed in the day maybe when she needed more milk, Mm. um, it wasn't possible. So I actually, the nights were really much easier for me because I didn't have to keep getting up and making formula. Um, And we got through the nights just by breastfeeding. But then after about four months, it just felt like it was was better to to give up at that point. And could you make your peace with that? Was that an okay decision that you felt? Actually, I did want to breastfeed, but we are at this stage and... I am fine with letting that go or were there any like strong emotions associated with that decision? I think when I'd got to that point, I was okay with it. But leading up to that point, I've, I found it very upsetting and kept spiraling into a internet 
hole of Googling and then going from one extreme to the other and worrying that I hadn't fed her enough. Mm. And, well, actually, my boyfriend told me later that he actually was giving her formula when I was having these moments. And he was he was kind of across it much, not much more than me, but he was making sure yeah. that everything was okay. Yeah. And he, he was much more keen for to go down the formula route because he could see how much it was affecting me. And also he wanted to be a part of it and take the nights on and yeah. share everything. And I don't think he 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 really realised how much it meant to me or why it meant so much to me. He mm. was really of the school of thought of feed the baby however you can. Mm. But it did it did mean a lot to me. And also, which looking back, it seems ridiculous now, when I went to cough for coffee with my new mum friends, I actually hid the fact that I wasn't breastfeeding. Mm. And I was really embarrassed about having to get a bottle out and used to kind of feed her before I went for a coffee and then go for the coffee and then go back and feed her and not have the bottle out because they were all happily breastfeeding and um, having no, mm. no, seemingly no, no issues. And because I didn't know them very well then, mm. I, I felt quite, um, yeah, upset about it. And I think there are a lot of women who will feel the same way as you do. And so I think it's really important to have this conversation. But can you describe why breastfeeding was important to you? like why it was so important to do. Yeah. And again, this could be completely wrong. And I think it is wrong now that I just thought for her development in the early weeks and months that breastfeeding was best. And I was really worried that if I didn't try and I I didn't give her breast milk, that it might affect her development at some point. Mm. And did you think you got enough support from people around you? I, I know you mentioned you you sought help, but did you feel that that was you you got in, enough and and it was well received? Yes, I did yeah. actually. So when I went to some breastfeeding clubs, if that's what you call them, mm-hmm. um, they were very supportive. I mean, there's lots of mums there and not enough staff to go around, but the people that I spoke to really helped me and were really encouraging Mm -hmm. and then a bit later down the line when I went to another one it was actually a bit of a smaller session and the consultant there more or less said to me why don't you just give up now she said if you want to turn it around you're gonna have to lock yourself in the flat for two weeks and Mm -hmm. go for it Mm -hmm. and pump day and night and she said do you really want to do that and she was very realistic with me, which I really appreciated. Mm. And even though it did upset me coming out of there, because I thought, yeah, that's probably the end yeah. of my my road for exclusive breastfeeding. Now, looking back, I really appreciated her saying that to me. It's so important that people are honest about the fact that breastfeeding is not easy for most women, mm. in the beginning particularly. And I think that there is so much pressure on women to breastfeed. And obviously there are lots of biological reasons why it's an excellent thing to do. And I, you know, would definitely recommend people try it. But um, far more important is to be able to look back on the time with your baby with happy memories. And the relationship between the mum and the baby, if it's all about pain or or dread you know if you're dreading the next time your baby wakes up then what a shame Mm. so whilst I love breastfeeding and I was lucky enough to be able to breastfeed my children I really don't like when women are made to feel bad Mm. or they're embarrassed 
And sometimes I have my own clients who are almost embarrassed to say to me that they've given a bottle or whatever. Mm. And, and I just feel like saying, I'm not the breastfeeding police. Mm. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So, Suzanne, we spoke about how the breastfeeding was going but how was the recovery generally after the C-section when you got home? Yeah, it was actually probably a lot slower and harder than I had imagined. Mm. And I knew it was going to take some time, but physically I didn't expect to be so weak and so flawed. So I ended up staying in hospital for an extra day because I had lost a lot of blood and they wanted to do a scan, make sure everything was okay before I came home. And so... When I did come home, I did feel very weak and and, and slightly helpless, mm. uh, especially with the kind of getting in and out of bed and looking after Clara. And I was really lucky that my mum was there for me and, and came to help me. And so I had one midwife come to the house of the flat uh, on day four. And then the next day I had a call from her saying that she couldn't come and could I go to the local clinic and usually that walk would have taken me 15 20 minutes and in my weakened condition it took me over an hour mm. to get there and half halfway there I just broke down I was with my mum just broke down crying and me and my mum didn't know what to do didn't well we might as well have just carried on because it was halfway back to the flat and halfway there in hindsight, we should have got a taxi, but mm-hmm. it felt like it was around the corner in my head. So eventually got there and 
so explained how hard it was for me to travel there and, and it, I felt awful. Mm. And then the midwife said that they thought that Clara was jaundice. And so they said, you need to go straight to Homerton Hospital to have her checked over. So we kind of came out of there and again, didn't really know the, well, we knew the right decision was to go to the hospital, but I just needed to lie down. And, and mm. also I wanted to continue trying to establish breastfeeding. Mm. So we went home for a short time and then we ended up going to the hospital. And the other thing was that my my mum was amazing, but she's not physically very strong. So it was mm. quite hard for her to put Clara in a car seat and to carry her into the hospital. So and when you've had a C-section, you can't, can't lift do anything, anything, no. anything at all. So we decided to get the bus to the hospital because we thought that'd be the easiest thing to just roll Clara on. Just to say, my partner had to go back to work straight away because he's a contractor and he couldn't take any paternity leave. Mm. So we got to the hospital and got Clara checked over. And in the meantime, I'm trying to breastfeed in the waiting room and it's all very emotional and mm. I'm exhausted. And so got checked over. And actually the consultant we saw there and I was talking to her about breastfeeding. She said that she'd had three children and hadn't breastfed any of them and they're all perfectly fine and not to get hung up about it. So that kind of did stay with me in my kind of my moments of darkness afterwards with breastfeeding. So anyway, checked her over and the consultant was absolutely sure she didn't have jaundice. So got home, kind of settled back down again. And then two days later, had to go back to the clinic. Wasn't quite so bad that time because I felt a bit stronger. And then they said the same thing the baby's definitely jaundice, go back to the hospital. one more time. Yeah. And so I, at that point, I took the decision not to go back Mm -hmm. to the hospital because I'd had the tests, I had the evidence that she wasn't then. And so I just went home because I couldn't, mentally and physically, I couldn't go back. So then two days later, I went back to the clinic and explained that I hadn't gone to the hospital. And there they agreed that she wasn't jaundice. So I don't know whether I had taken a, a risk there with not going, but I actually couldn't. Mm. So that's just, it's really hard when, you, when you're when you a new mum and it's your first baby mm. because you want to follow the advice and do exactly the best for your baby. But the second time, I just felt that I had to make you my own decision. You can't go through all of that again. Yeah. Yeah, I completely understand. I mean, like those first few weeks, also when you've had a C-section, but, you know, generally, hormonally, you're trying to get breastfeeding up and running with your baby. There's so much change. And you're also weak doing, then going to a hospital. It's just not really possible. Yeah, it was really tough. And if I, I, I think I would have gone for that first appointment. But on the whole, if I was giving myself advice, I would say just cocoon yourself mm. for the first, especially for the first two weeks. Mm. And I was having visitors within days, you know, family and friends that were all well-meaning and Mm. um, I really wanted them to meet Clara. But I would have, if I did it again, I would say have two weeks just to close yourself in. And then I feel like breastfeeding, I might have been able to establish it a Mm. bit more easily. You just don't know. So, yeah. And getting some time to yourself and getting to know your baby in that initial phase. Yeah. In an ideal world, nobody should have to go to a clinic on day five. It's really current staffing levels and 
the fact that they really do need to see people around that time because there's an important blood test that babies have. But I just think it's so awful for women, particularly after having a C-section, mm. to have the physical challenge of going somewhere. Mm. And um, it absolutely can have a big effect on breastfeeding. Um, and also the only other comment is visitors are wonderful, but too many at once will also affect breastfeeding and recovery. And you need people to visit and be useful mm. rather than come just to look at a baby. Mm. Send them a photo instead. That's my <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And with the breastfeeding, you just need to be completely free and yeah. and not feel self-conscious. Yeah. I think it, it can be easy sometimes to, I definitely did that mistake, thinking that the, you know, the breastfeeding is, is just one part. It's like, I'm just going to feed him and then... I'm going to do all these other things, but actually breastfeeding is a full-time job in the beginning and you barely have time for anything else. So I think next time around, I'm going to set that time aside and be like, well, that's eight hours of my day and that's how long it takes. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. No, thank you so much for sharing your story, Suzanne. It's been lovely. I think the breastfeeding bit is so important. There are a lot of women who uh, who are struggling with it and I think that's super helpful. Thank you. No problem. And thank you, Naomi. Thank you. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.